Um, yeah, thank you so much, Claire, for sharing your story. Um, we're just so grateful uh, for what the Lord has done in your life, and it's just amazing to get to see uh, just how much the, the gospel transforms people's life, uh, lives completely. Um, and so, also, welcome to H2O Church. So glad that you are with us this morning. My name is Alfonso Mack. I'm a pastor in training here, and I am very, very excited to be continuing with you all in this series in the book of Proverbs. Um, this proverb that we'll be in today has played one of the, been one of the most uh, pivotal sections of Scripture in my life, especially as into what I'm doing today, and I'll share a little, little bit about that uh, later. But I'm excited because I, I really do think that this proverb should, it should drive us towards the feet of Jesus. It should just drive us to his feet for dependence and everything that we need. So let's just jump right in. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 through 9. And please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Proverbs uh, 30, verses 7 through 9. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm reading from the CSB, and this is what it says. Two things I ask of you. Do not deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far away from me. Far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. That is reading of God's word. You may be seated. And so these are the words of Agur, uh, son of Jacob. And uh, this is the only prayer in all of the Proverbs. It's the only prayer, and it's written by a man in which some say that it, his name is just a pseudonym for Solomon. Um, so it could be Solomon just under another name. Or some people say that it's maybe just a, a guy that was just walk, walk, uh, walking alongside and was maybe a writer for Solomon. But regardless of that, there's not much uh, um, uh, evidence in the scriptures because his name actually isn't found anywhere else in the Bible. Um, but that doesn't really matter here today because we can learn a lot from this man. We can learn a lot about what it looks like to pray, and we can learn a lot about his lives from this proverb. And so uh, our prayer lives is a reflection of just who we are, and we can see that here. And, then, and so we can learn from this proverb what types of petitions and prayers we need to submit before God that will allow us to live in God-honoring and Christ-exalting ways. And so every time that I read this proverb, I just picture this person who is just desperate for God. It has this tone of just neediness. It has a tone of weakness, this tone of I see my face in the mirror and I see how wretched I am. I essentially see in Agur a wise fool. I see a wise fool, someone who understands that in his limitedness as a human who doesn't know it all, he has to go to the living God, the creator of the universe to fulfill his needs. Even when you look at the first six verses of the proverb, you actually see that in, in my version in the CSB, he actually calls himself stupid, which is kind of funny because there's times when we call ourselves stupid. So he sees this, how messed up he is. And this is the man who realizes he's a finite being when he gazes upon the beauty of the God of heaven. And he sees his majesty and power and all the deeds and all the great thing that God has done. And what this does is it drives him towards a place of humility in this deep longing for intimacy with God, in a desire just to obey him. And so all of this in this prayer is what literally leads us to our big idea for today. And it is this. The prayers of a godly person should be driven towards dependence upon Jesus alone. 
The prayers of a godly person should be driven towards uh, dependence on Jesus alone. Now, before we get into these things that he asked God in verse 7, you'll notice in verse 7 that Agar, he just comes to God with a humble heart. He says, there's just two things I ask of you, just two. Please don't deny them to me before I die. It takes a lot for us to have to ask for something that we really desire from someone. It's a test of pride a little bit because we like to be kind of just self-sustaining. We don't kind of want to ask people for help because sometimes they might show weakness in our own lives. It's real hard to do that at times, but it's, it's hard to also want to say to somebody, like, do not withhold that from me because I actually need it. Can you please give that to me? Please don't keep that away. It's hard for us to have to go to God sometime with big requests. It's hard to go to other people with big requests, things that we really need done for us, but he, but here, Agar, he just does it. He puts his life in the hands of God, and he just lays down his pride for what he needs most. It's almost like that teenager who has to lay down his pride to ask, ask his parents to drive the whip on a Friday night. You got to lay down a pride because it might be a really nice car. And like, hey, I kind of want to go out and hang out with my hooligans, right? So that's what, that's what you have to lay down pride to be able to want to go and do that. But this, what we see, is just so good because Agar... Even in his asking, he boils his life down into just two simple requests. Requests that he wants before he die, is, dies. It's like saying, if there's anything on this planet I desire, just anything I desire before I leave, it's these things. These are the things that will actually give my life meaning. And he asked for something that was just so colossal, just something that's just so big and something that mattered, but does so out of a need for God. That's what he did. And he does so with wisdom. If you even go read even the first six verses or even keep even study this, you can see that Agar must have spent some time contemplating and thinking about his life and his life in the depths of his soul. And it's like, man, what does my soul actually need most in life that will get me by? And I love this because this is a picture of how we ought to pray. We should pray like Agar. Pray with humble hearts. We should pray with humble hearts. And it makes me wonder why, though. Why would he ask God for two things when there's endless possibilities out there for what he could have asked God for? And we'll dive into that a little bit. But it makes me wonder, and even I have to ask myself or even you all, like, if you literally could ask God for anything that you could have before you die, just anything, what would it be? Think about that. Like, what would you ask God that you deeply desire before you die? What is it? And so as we transition into his actual requests and petitions before God, I want to say that, that what we will do is focus just on pretty much two things of how our, our prayer life should look. And so the first thing that we should be asking and seeking in prayer, we can find in the beginning of verse 8, verse eight which leads me to my first point. We should ask God to rid our lives of the things that are inconsistent. Rid our lives of the things that are inconsistent with the truth of God's word, with the truth of God and his word. That's what we should do. That should be our prayer. So in his prayer, the first thing he asked God in humility for is that God would keep falsehood and deceitful words far away from him. Agar illuminates to us that godly people should be committed to pursuing the truth. That's what we should be doing. As, as if uh, walking in truth is pertinent to living a life of godliness. We should long for things that are not true to never infiltrate our lives. We should never long for that. We should want to be people that walk in truth in every single area of our lives. We should not want falsehood in it. And, and Jesus himself even speaks about this in his prayer for the church. In John 17, 17, says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
That's from the mouth of Jesus. So Jesus himself, the son of God, prays for us, the church, the people of God, to literally walk and dwell in truth. That's what he wants. He wants us to walk in truth in every way of our lives. That's what Jesus desires. And Agar, in his prayer, says, Father, keep falsehood and deceitful words or even lying far away from me, depending on what version you have. So falsehood here just resembles things that are just not true, things that are futile, things that are meaningless, things that are just pretty much empty, and things that lead towards destruction. Falsehood is living in, in such a way that you are pretending to be something that you're actually not. And then deceitful words or lying or just lies, you're speaking lies. It's using words to manipulate. It's saying things that you don't actually mean for personal gain. It's using words to create confusion. And also in conjunction with verse 6, deceitful words and lying is adding to God's word things that are not there. It's speaking things about God's character that just simply are not true. It is lying and twisting God's word in the scriptures for your own benefit. That's what deceitful words and lying looks like. And falsehood and deceitful words stem from a heart that does not care about truth. And, it, and, and if you look at it, uh, truth is, it says that truth isn't in the heart. If you see falsehood and deceitful words, because what will come, that's what will come out of your mouth. What's in your heart will literally come out of your mouth. And Jesus says this in Luke 6, 45, as he says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart, the, his mouth speaks. So you see, it's very clear that what's in the heart actually comes out. So we will speak and, and what will come out of our lives is literally what makes Agar's prayer so powerful. Why? Because what you believe will show itself in the way that we live. What we believe will show, it, show itself in the way that we live. And it makes all the more sense why he would even ask God and say, I don't even want this near me. I don't want to smell it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to feel it. Can you please keep that nonsense far away from me? Don't bring it close to me. I don't want any parts of falsehood or deceitful words. It's almost as if, though, he's implying, though, when you look at this, that he's talking about falsehood and deceitful words that come from outside in. So the things that he might hear from other people. But then also it's this picture of I don't even want it in my heart to go out. That's what his desire is deeply when he's talking about falsehood and deceitful words. He doesn't want it to come in or come out of him. This is what we see from Agar. And it's like, why would he be asking for this? Why is he asking it? For this. It's because he knows that this belief system can cause unrest in the heart. It is something, it is, and it is this, that something that we must be aware of because falsehood and lies can literally appear to be true, but it's actually false. So what I mean by this is that if something is true to us and we don't realize it's false, false, normally what it does is put hostility in our hearts towards that which is actually true. Now that might seem a little bit confusing. So just let me give you an example. So if you go look to the life of Jesus and you go see what the religious leaders and the Pharisees did to him, they literally thought that he was not the Messiah. And so they killed him over it. They killed him over a lie. The scriptures prophesy that literally a Messiah would come who will be born of a virgin in Bethlehem. He would die for the transgressions of the people. He would raise again, literally bringing freedom from sin and death. It's prophesied about in the Old Testament. That's what we see. But then when you go and read the gospel accounts, the people didn't believe that what they were actually reading about 
So these, these people would have been reading about it. They didn't even believe it. They said Jesus isn't the, this Messiah, even though he's literally healing the sick. He's raising the dead. He's casting out demons, which is also prophesied about as well. This is, this, that's the thing. They didn't believe it. But this is the crazy part. They're not believing that Jesus was the son of God to them seen as truth. They would have thought that that was true. But actually, it was false. And it was so false that when Jesus died in Matthew 27, the centurion and the people around, they were like, truly, he was the son of God. Isn't that crazy? These people who literally thought that what they believed was true, they realized he, we were wrong. The earth shook. The temple tore. He, he said it would happen. Truly, he was the son of God. And so because of that, we need real truth to govern our realities, not falsehood. Not falsehood. Believing a lie is literally what led to Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. And believing a lie is what causes us to sin and disobey God. It, it's what causes shame and guilt and insecurity. It's what drives us towards what we pursue in life. It affects how we treat others and how we view others. And sin, and because of sin, literally, it's our natural inclination to believe in a lie. And Agar, he knows this in his prayer. That's why he prays for it. And so walking in truth allows us to walk in the ways that God has called us to, and it brings so much joy. So much joy when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, especially when you go look at Romans 8 or even Philippians chapter 1, you see that this was this man who literally held to the promises of God. See, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ our Lord. And he believed in that so much that he dedicated his entire life to the mission of the gospel, literally traveling across seas, being shipwrecked to be beaten, to be bitten by uh, snakes and all these things where people wanted to spit on him and literally mock him and ridicule him. He dedicated his life to it because he believed it so far that when he looked at the cross and the resurrection, it's like, why would I fear death itself? He believed it so much. He says to, in Philippians 1 1, my favorite life verse, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's what he believed. And it showed in his life. It was very, very obvious. And so it only makes sense, though, when we think about Agar, why he would begin his prayer with that first request and why he would want it far away from him. And it is helpful for us in this room today so that we can evaluate what we hear from others or even the lies that come into our own heads. The stuff that you might see on social media and what people tell you, tell you is actually a really scary time out there, isn't it? On the internet, right? If you want to go believe something real foolish, you can go find a few people that want to believe the same stuff as you, even though it's false. Just everything that you find, just because just because it seems true, isn't actually true or right. You should go evaluate what you're actually taking in. Everything you find out there is not true. It's not true. So we must make sure that we are pursuing truth in our lives as it is essential to our core beings of followers of Jesus as Jesus himself calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, right? Truth is found in Jesus, the word who was made flesh, the living God. This is where you actually find it. In, in the Jesus who says in John 8, 31 to 32, if you continue in my word, you are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, the freedom that we need, that we want deep within our lives from the weight of our sin, and all of the perils of the things that we go through is only found in Jesus. It's only found in Jesus. His death and resurrection to save us from sin and death 
to bring us new lives that are full of joy and peace. This There is power from sin in Christ, and he is strong enough to cleanse us from whatever it is we need to be cleansed from. That's where truth is found. It's only found in one place. But the real thing for us is to have to wrestle with this question of, but will we be humble enough to pray for God to remove false attitudes, false belief systems, and sin and messed up ways of thinking from our lives? Will we be humble enough to just ask for it instead of walking in falsehood? And this is essentially the depths of the first request in Agar's prayer. And our request, too, that God would just rid our lives of the things that are inconsistent with the truth of God and his word. Now, that's not all that we must even ask for in our prayers, and that's not all that even Agar asked for, which leads me to my second point of what we should ask God in prayer. And we should ask God to not give us the things that lead to ungodly living. Ask God to not give us the things that lead us to ungodly living. So in verse 8, he says, give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Lord, help us this morning. Help us this morning. I love this. Agar lets it it be known. Right at the beginning, right here, he says by saying, Lord, you know good and well. I am too weak of a man to be given certain things. So please just give me what I need. I can't handle it. (laughs) Please don't give it to me. Because I know it ain't right. If I got too much of that, it might lead me away. So please keep that far away from me. I don't want too too much. I want too little. Give me what I need. He's a simple man. Just give me what I need. He isn't, but one of the things he isn't saying, though, I have to make this clear, he isn't saying that wealth is wrong, and he's not saying that poverty is wrong. He just knows how his heart is wired. And he understands that having too much or not enough, if it is left unchecked, will lead his life into ruin which we'll talk about in a little bit. But he says, first, do not give me poverty. One must understand, though, that being poor does not make you more godly than someone who who has wealth. And the Bible doesn't actually teach that. Faith in Christ through the work of the Spirit is what makes us godly. Okay, that's what makes us godly. Now, it's definitely possible, though, to have wealth and to be generous. It is possible to have uh, wealth and literally be willing to give your resources and be godly all at the same time. But it is also possible on the other side to be poor and be greedy, malicious, and materialistic. It's very possible. And I think that it all comes back to the posture of one's heart in whatever situation you find yourself in in life. Now, this reminds me of just a, just a point in time in my life. Back in 2016, I played football at BGSU, and in 2016, I had a real serious opportunity to make it to the NFL. Um, and so there was a there was a moment um, during that during that year, I had finally came across podcasts for the first time, and I'm like, hey, these are real cool. So I started looking through Christian podcasts, randomly found one where these guys were just talking through sections of scripture, and they were praying through them. And this was one of the sections that came up, and I remember just hearing it on a on a ride to a game, and I just started to ponder this proverb a whole lot. And I'm like, Lord, this needs to be my prayer. Because I'm like, Lord, you know, the NFL would be real nice to have a lot of money. But I'm a little selfish at times. And I know it could probably lead me away. But Lord, on the other side, please don't let me just be broken and mess stuff up. I don't want that life either. Give me what I need. Give me the right things. 
If making it to the league will literally pull me away from you, don't give it to me. And if being broke down, busted, and disgusted will lead me to do malicious things, I don't want that either. Just give me what my soul needs. That was what I was praying about. So much that even while I was going through the NFL process, God literally softened my heart. And I, was, I had I worked out with a couple teams, and then it got to a point where in that time I realized that what I am doing right now was what God was calling me to. So I just walked away from that dream, and some people thought I was actually crazy for doing it. Like, why would you go do that? You know what you can do with tons of money from the NFL? You can do a lot, of, a lot with that stuff. Christians with money, that's a beautiful thing. That's what people would think. And I, and I share that because it might even be tempting for us to dream of all the ways that God can use a Christian who got a lot of dough. Right? Like that mansion that they can have, all those resources, they can do some cool things. They can bring lots of folks to Jesus. That's what we might start to think. That their influence and money and power drive so many people, and rightfully so. God can use a person with a lot of money and resources to do amazing things like that if the person decides to submit all of their resources to Christ's authority, which is a call to be generous for the believer, and it's actually if you're rich or you're poor. Right? The two pennies. Uh, that's a little story in the, in the Gospels. But, okay. Um, but one thing I do want to say, though, even when it comes to this, is, and this is just, just being real, God does not need any of us to do great things with money and tons of resources in order for his power to be displayed. Now, he does do it, though. He does do it to literally just show how good he is in those ways. But he doesn't need every one of us to have tons of money because he's equipped us with the Spirit. The Spirit is the greatest gift that makes every Christian wealthy. That that is just so good. He's given us that. That's where true wealth is. And the Bible shows how he would even use sometimes the worst circumstances, poor and weak people to bring glories to his name. You can go look all throughout the Bible of how he did it. Jesus told his disciples to even go out in twos and don't take nothing with them. So they didn't have anything and they were literally bringing people to Jesus, healing folks. Even when you go think about the Old Testament, how all those jokers are broke down and crazy. They, man, them people, all the time you start reading, it's like, wow, God used these people? Yeah. He, can, he doesn't have to use all the cute ones all the time. They got all the money. But he does it, which is just so cool to think about. And I just love it. And so with all of this, our understanding in Agar's prayer is what the Bible talks about in aspects of wealth. And it's this, and it's if we have this deep love for money, or desire for gain more than we do Jesus, it could lead us astray. It could lead us astray. And Paul talks about this in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 10, where he says, and this is actually real crazy, he says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation. Those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Seems like Edgar might have been speaking some truth that Paul was holding on to here. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's the reality of what you desire, of what we can desire. And so what this does, though, is it has us come to this place where we must allow the Lord to give us exactly what we need so we can live in righteousness and be drawn away from the pitfalls and dangers of having wealth or the pitfalls and dangers of having poverty. And so the food, though, that Agar needs is the same food that we need. And he says it in his prayer at the end of verse 8, feed me. I want to eat with the food that I need. 
This is just like Jesus in, Ma- in Matthew 6, verse 11, when he, talk, uh, uh, when he talks about the bread. Give us our daily bread. Fill me with the daily bread. And Jesus himself calls what? I'm the bread of life. So you want to be full. Your, your, your soul is longing for something. Jesus is the way for it. And Agar wants what's necessary to live a godly life. He wants to live in a consistent dependence upon God all the days of his life. And what better way to do that than to ask the God of the universe, Yahweh, the creator of all, the Alpha and Omega, to give him exactly what he needs. Because throughout his prayer, Agar knows his heart's deceitful. He knows it. Jeremiah 17 says what? That the heart is deceitful above all else and incurable. Who can understand it? And actually, go read the first six verses. He talks about literally how he doesn't understand. Agar talks about that. So he knows that there is something in his heart that just is not right. And he knows that he may be deceived just like we are to long for certain things that won't truly honor God. And so one stark contrast in his prayer and the way that we live is that we sometimes feed ourselves with the food that we think we need instead of letting Jesus be that. Agar has to be fed. Let God feed me what my soul needs. This is important, especially in a time when we think we know what's best for us, as if we created ourselves and everything else in the world. Only the creator truly knows what the creation needs. Only the creator knows that. Think about it. Elon must know what needs to be used to make that Tesla run. And also, too, the person that literally created your, your iPhone, you, you're having some problems. They know what your iPhone needs in order for it to, to be working. We look, we look and we say that we know what we need, but the creator truly knows what the creation needs. And our tendency is to sometimes just feed ourselves and go to other things for what the soul needs most. So it's like we want love and satisfaction. We want joy. We want peace. We want comfort and patience. And instead of going to God, who is the source, we look towards the world, mainstream media and relationships to give us something that isn't even actually fulfilling our hearts, even while we're doing it. And we know it. You can ask tons of people. It's like, do you really feel satisfied in the way that you live your life? No, I actually don't. These things aren't doing it. There's a hole there. Sometimes we might even just wonder, like, why am I the way I am? Why am I so bitter? Why am I so angry? And why am I just so agitated and selfish? And why do I feel so empty? It's because the thing that you need most, you haven't gone to. But what you need most is only found in Christ himself. He is eternal life and he's the way to it. He is the thing that we need for joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, all the things that you see. In Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, he is the place where we actually find true rest for the soul. And guess what? It takes a person who is desperate for God to actually say, God, feed me with what I need. You have to be desperate for that, to go to him. And maybe today you might be a skeptic, or maybe you're searching for answers. Maybe you hear and you don't even care anything about what I'm saying. You're completely turned off to God. But the only thing I want to say is just think about your life and ask, are you really satisfied? And if that answer truly is no, ask Jesus to fill that for you. Ask Jesus to give you what you need and what you're looking for most. Now, this whole life comes down to the the, the thought of, who or what do I trust most for my well-being? And so will I trust 
God with my life to be fully content in him? Or do I trust in myself and my wealth and resources and other things, but just know that the material things and all that other stuff that we seek after comes to an end someday. One day we'll die, our bodies will die. So if you look to eating good and, and health to get you by and sustain you, you're going to die one day. Your, your, your uh, money and all those things will rot after you literally leave. The scriptures talk about that. All these things come to an end. But Christ himself is the eternal God. And his resurrection proves that. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He didn't stay in the grave. So he's eternal. So you want something that's going to last forever? Jesus. He's it. Jesus is that. Now, before we get ready to close, I just want to dive into verse 9 and just share about why he truly asked for the things that he asked for and why this matters for our relationship with Jesus. Because Agar talks about the real perils of riches and poverty, and he gives practical situations to his prayers. He reveals the outworkings of his own heart in verse 9. He says, otherwise, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and still profaming the name of my God. What Agar is saying here is that he could be full and have too much and recognize he doesn't need God to satisfy him. So he actually forgets God. This is like some people who come to Jesus when life is hard. But then when life gets a little bit better, you feel a little bit good. You completely forget about God. And having too much wealth is something that could potentially lead us to that for some. This was one of the things that God himself and Moses actually talks to the Israelite people about when they were in the wilderness. Like when you get ready to go into that promised land, you better not forget where you came from. You remember that time when y'all was thirsty, y'all were hungry, y'all complaining, y'all were in slavery. Who brought you up? I did. Don't, for, don't forget me. When you get to the, all the good stuff, the land and flowing with milk and honey, don't forget. I gave it. Don't forget that. I cared for you. Please do not forget that. In other words, when you get out of that wilderness, don't forget who sustained you. And so we must fight to not forget who the Lord is and what he's done for us because we wouldn't be who we are today or have what we have if it wasn't for the goodness of God as he provided all the things that we have. And without God, we are truly nothing. And now on the other side of that, though, he says, or he may be poor and steal and profane the name of God. To profane here is to make a common, the opposite of sacred, holy. To cause a divine person or sacred thing to be considered unworthy of reverence. This takes place as a person who claims Jesus, but his lack and jealousy causes him to manipulate and steal his way into satisfaction. It reveals a heart that believes that God is unreliable. This happens when our impatience with God in the midst of unmet needs governs our lives and causes us to do what we can to fulfill that need. And sometimes that happens in godly ways. H.B. Charles Jr. puts it this way, an abundance of wealth can lead towards indifference towards God and a lack of provision can lead towards irreverence towards God, can lead towards irreverence towards God. This is like having an easy life that leads towards forgetting who God is and what he's done for you or life being too hard and you just turn away from God. This reminds me of a story in my life. This goes probably back to middle school. So there was a moment in my life in middle school where I think a lot of teenagers, are, when you hit that point, you start thinking about your life and your family like, man, my parents are too strict. They just, they just want to deny me my fun in life. 
They don't want to let me go do whatever I want to go and do. And I was that same kid who had that same thought. And so I had, I had a, a godmother and a god sister, and I used to always hang around their house. I'm like, man, they're fun over there. I want to go live with them. So I remember saying to my mom when I was real angry in my heart, I'm like, man, she's denying me what I want. I said, mom, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go and live with them. And she would say, no, you're not. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm going to leave. So then over, over a little bit of time, I asked a few different times, and then there was one day I said, mom, I'm really going to leave. I'm tired of you. I don't want to be with you. And she says, okay, go. Man, I was shook. I was shocked. I'm like, hold on. Like, you really just going to let me go like that? You don't care about me or something? Like, you sure? She was like, yeah, if that's what you want, go. And I remember being this young kid, and I sat there, and I, and I actually paused. Hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, wait, why would I go leave my, my mom when she's been the one who's been protecting me, caring for me, providing for me? Doing everything that I needed as a young, as a young kid, while when I was pooping in my diapers was taking care of me, she was the one doing that from the beginning. Why would I want to just go and leave that behind as if she doesn't care about me? And when I think about my desire and what I wanted, it's because it's like, man, I wanted to sustain myself. And so in all of this, what we must recognize is that the sin of self-sufficiency, the sin of self-sufficiency is at the heart of the person who has a ton and forgets God. It's at the heart of a person who steals or who is poor and corruptly tries to gain in order to become rich. They both long to satisfy and fill their own lives, and it shows in how they live, and it causes both of them to walk away for God, from God. Causing them both to walk away from God. And it's amazing, though, isn't it, how in his answer he connects all these things to when he says he, why he didn't want neither poverty nor riches, as it all connects back to his first request from God. His first request was what? Lord, please keep falsehood and deceitful words and lying far, far away from me. Why would he say that? Because this is something, a lie that can creep into the human heart in subtle ways without even recognizing is that I'm good. I don't need God. I'm strong enough to do it. I can muster my way up. God isn't good enough for me. He can't fully satisfy me. I tried that already. I prayed enough. He didn't answer. He can't provide. I can do it all on my own. And this happens sometimes just even in the way that we live as Christians where we go about our days and we don't even recognize God at all. We think that we can do it. We can sustain ourselves not knowing that he was the one that breathed breath in our lungs. And this is why our prayers matter. These things matter because it changes how we view God and his sovereign power and it affects the way that we live. We can't let these things change our view of God. God is faithful. He has always been faithful. He will never stop being faithful. And the cross and the resurrection of Jesus proves that. Through When you go look at the scripture throughout history, it proves that God is faithful, even in times where we think God's silent. So you go look at the scripture right at the end of the Old Testament. There's this long period where they didn't hear anything from God. It's like, man, is he really going to come through with his promise to bring a Messiah? And guess what he did? He proved that true. That baby Jesus was born. In Bethlehem, in a manger to a virgin, he rose in stature and in wisdom and glory, was baptized, had the Holy Spirit, lived his life, healed the sick, raised the dead, all the above, was a, lived a perfect life, and he went and died, as the scriptures talk about being wounded for our transgressions, and then he rose again over sin and death, and we want to talk about, is God faithful? Can we trust him? Is he going to provide? Absolutely, he will. Absolutely he will, even in the times where you think he might not. 
he will. And the life of Jesus is a full reflection of that. And so praise the Lord for Eger's prayer. I'm grateful that this is even in the scriptures because it gives us a picture of how we must literally evaluate our lives as followers of Jesus. Our lives have to work towards reflecting the workings of the living God, not saying that we'll do it perfectly, but we must do what this proverb calls us to do, and it's to evaluate our actions as they reflect the life of prayer. And I think it actually made sense when Agar says that he was concerned about how stealing might cause him to profane God's name. He's talking about just like this ethic of how I actually live and what I believe literally might even show that I don't even know God. I don't want that. This is why this, these prayers need to be a part of our lives so that God would actually allow us to walk in the right ways. So we must ask ourselves the question then, even with all of that, do I truly want Jesus to fulfill my life and give me what I need most? Do I want to walk in truth or falsehood? And let me tell you, there isn't a middle ground. Either everything Jesus said was true, and it is, or it's false. And you have to literally wrestle with that. The scriptures in the gospel do not call us to just blow by as if it doesn't matter. Because Jesus made some really stark, like, really crazy claims that the people like, he's either, it's either he was crazy or he was really who he said he was. And so we got to wrestle with that. And so as we get ready to leave, what we should do is just evaluate our lives. Paul tells the people to do it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Literally test that you're in faith. Examine yourself. Test your heart before God and just, be, and just see why do you seek what you seek after? What are you looking for for fulfillment? We should look at this proverb and we should just plead with God before his throne for a heart that longs for godliness and truth, integrity, selflessness, longing to be made more like Jesus and longing for God to rid us of anything that is inconsistent with the truth of him and his word and to not give us the things that will lead to a life of ungodliness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this precious word that you've given us. Thank you for this prayer of Ayer that literally gives us a picture of how we must pray as people who claim to love you. We pr I pray that you would give every last one of us the food that we need, that we would walk in truth and not falsehood in every area of our lives. I pray that we would evaluate the things that we hear from the outside, the things that come in, and even the things that come out. And ask that you would just rid us of all the things that are not of you. If it's a lie, keep it away. If it's going to lead me towards ungodly living, keep it away. Father, direct our steps. Satisfy our souls. For you are enough for us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.